is Jerry DiPiano, and you are listening to the Love Mia Vita podcast. My co-host is Dr. Catherine Sharif. And for those of you that haven't met Catherine Sharif, I'm going to have her share some of her background with you. She is a professor of medicine at Thomas Jefferson University. But Dr. Sharif, Catherine, please share with our guests a little bit about your background. Thanks, Jerry. It's great to be here. Uh, so I'm an internist in Philadelphia at Thomas Jefferson University. And uh, one of my great interests is cardiovascular disease in women. Um, I really like helping women identify uh, their risk factors for heart disease and helping them turn this around. So as you might imagine, today's podcast is about women and heart health. Now we know that uh, there is Heart Health Month, but Heart Health Month is every month. It's just not in the month of February. It happens to be a major issue for women. And in fact, what we understand is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death for women in the United States. And we understand as well that there are certain women that are at greater risk for cardiovascular disease. And they happen to be women who are in the menopause transition, but not all is doom and gloom because there are some things that we can do to forestall the impact of cardiovascular disease and improve our cardiovascular health. And we can be aware of the sorts of things that can be done, even from a diagnostic perspective. You're gonna hear this from Dr. Sharif, who has some great tips to share with women on health, cardiovascular health in the menopause transition. So let's get started. First of all, we know from studies that have been done, one in particular, which is something called the SWAN study or the study of women's health across the nation, that there is a notable increase in cardiovascular disease during midlife. And this is because of hormone changes. As you might imagine the decline in estrogen. And then we see some alterations in our body composition, in our lipid profile, and in measures of cardiovascular health in general that increase po postmenopausally. But there are some strategies that we can undertake, and we're going to cover those. So let's talk about some of the menopause characteristics that are relevant to cardiovascular disease, and especially who are the women that are at risk. One of those issues is the age at menopause. So what do we know about the onset of menopause as it relates to cardiovascular risk? Well, we know that the younger um, you experience uh, menopause, the greater your risk for heart disease. And um, menopause is defined as one year after your last menstrual period. So if that occurs before age 40, you have premature menopause and you are a decade uh, ahead of everyone else. And those, you know, those women go on to get heart disease at younger ages. Um, but even if you're 45 uh, that, and you experience menopause, meaning lack of, uh, or an absence of menstrual periods for one year, um, you still have a higher risk than if you have uh, menopause at age 50. 
and the later you go uh, before menopause, the more protected you are. So we, we think about this in terms of natural menopause. And the, and the data are pretty clear that this is, um, that this is a, a case of natural menopause, but there are those women who enter chemical menopause or surgical menopause. Let's, let's talk about that because that's the type of menopause is also important to recognize. Yes, so having menopause happen abruptly, meaning your ovaries aren't producing hormones anymore, either because they're surgically removed or uh, because you have, uh, for example, chemotherapy, um, which has destroyed your ovaries, it plunges you into menopause. You suddenly have no estrogen and progesterone. And compared to natural menopause, um, you know, that's, uh, which is a gradual process over many, many years, um, starting around age 35, your estrogen and progesterone start to go down little by little, right? So we have maybe 10, 15 or more years uh, of our, our sex hormones decreasing, as opposed to one day you have sex hormones, the next day you don't. And it does plunge you into um, this a very abrupt menopause. So when we're thinking when we're thinking about where we are in terms of our stage of menopause, and I know that you know we don't want to over test or compulsively test, but obviously if you have been thrust into menopause, in addition to some of the other diagnostic tests that you may undertake, uh, what advice do you have for those women um, in terms of assessing their cardiovascular risk if, for example, they are either in early menopause, early natural menopause, or they are in menopause due to surgical or chemical, chemically related menopause? Sure. So the question is, how can you assess your risk? Yes. Okay. If you're going, if, if for some reason you're having surgical menopause, um, it, it could be something that you have the BRCA, the BRCA mutation, and your risk of ovarian cancer is high. And so you've planned um, to have um, an ovariectomy. Um, you really do need to discuss with your doctor, what do we do after this uh, once my ovaries are gone? Um, so that you can plan ahead for. Same thing um, if you are planning, if let's say you have breast cancer and you're planning to have chemotherapy and it is going to destroy your ovaries, you can actually plan ahead of time. You don't have to wait till you feel rotten. Um, so the, the things that happen when you're over, whether this is natural or an abrupt uh, menopause is your estrogen goes down. And when your estrogen goes down, you become more salt sensitive. So what that means is if you're salt sensitive, it means if you eat a bag of potato chips and you are not salt sensitive, okay, uh, you absorb, you have extra salt, you might be extra thirsty that night, maybe your hands are a little tight in the morning from all the fluid that you, uh, you retained fluid because you ate so, so many potato chips. Now, if you're salt, uh, if you're salt, uh, if you're salt sensitive, you absorb all that sodium and your pressure goes up. So estrogen protects us from being salt sensitive. We're salt insensitive unless uh, our estrogen goes down and then we're very salt sensitive. Now you eat the same bag of potato chips 
and you save every single bit of sodium, water follows, the tank fills up, and the blood pressure goes up. Um, so you may become uh, hypertensive uh, while you're in the menopausal transition or if you have an abrupt menopause. That's, that's a great way to describe it. I've never thought about it in that way, Catherine, but it does make sense. And I think for women who are listening to this or viewing this on YouTube, it probably is a good way to appreciate what happens with our bodies and especially what happens during the menopause transition in terms of the interrelationship between estrogen and salt and some of the predisposing factors that increase cardiovascular risk. We, we often hear that um, during various stages of menopause that our high density lipoproteins and our low density lipoproteins will start to change. Our triglycerides will change. Um, they will peak during peri and early menopause compared to premenopause. How dramatic um, are these changes? How dramatic um, should we anticipate them to be? And what can we do to help to control some of this? Sure. So LDL, as you know, is the bad cholesterol and HDL is the good cholesterol. And a good way for our listeners to remember this is with HDL, high density lipoprotein, you want it to be high. And for LDL, low density lipoprotein, you want it to be low. LDL is um, the substance, the fat that is deposited in our arteries and starts to uh, block the arteries. Um, and it really does go up after menopause. And um, when, and we know, we know that it's closely related to estrogen because if you were to give someone estrogen replacement therapy, the LDL goes back down. Um, and uh, HDL also goes up with estrogen and goes down. Um, HDL goes down uh, with smoking. And in fact, I could, um, I can look at somebody's blood tests before I walk, before I walk into the room, before I've ever met them and know whether they're a smoker or not based on what their HDL is. So a good HDL is like 50 or 60 and um, smokers will be around 20 or 30. That's extremely low and that's our protective one. Uh, but that's, and that brings up another risk factor, which is if you're a smoker, you have to stop. And this is not blame or shame time. You just need to stop. Women don't need any more blame or shame about like how bad they are and their behavior and, and how you know overweight they are and blah, blah, blah. They hear all this all the time. But if you do smoke, please stop right this minute. I, I like the um, stop the shame and the blame because you're right. Uh, we often hear this. We often understand that yes, there you know there are metabolic changes that take place. Um, sometimes they take place before the menopause transition. Sometimes they you know we you know we tend to go through periods of life where that is the way in which we handle stress, depression. It could be any number of it could be any number of factors that you know compel yeah. us. Could be the medications that we're taking. You know, there are certain antidepressants that will put weight on women. So you're not going to stop taking your antidepressant because you gain weight, but then that may predispose you to some other risk factors as you continue through the menopause transition. No blame, no shame. There are ways in which we can all deal with these types of issues. And that's really what this is all about. We're, we're about trying to help women to navigate through this, to better understand what's going on with our overall health and that, how that can 
improve the transition through menopause because menopause should be a liberating time of life. It shouldn't be all doom and gloom. But we, we need to not bury our heads in the sand and we need to appreciate that there's a lot going on here and there's a lot going on there as a function as of a decline in estrogen, but there are ways in which to address what those changes are and, and how that impacts our overall health. And in, in this podcast in particular, it's our cardiovascular health. So we look at endogenous estrogens and the impact of endogenous estrogens. Let's um, first of all, perhaps you can define endogenous estrogens for our listeners because I don't want anybody to have to take out a medical dictionary. So what are endogenous estrogens and how do they impact cardiovascular risk factors? Sure, so endogenous estrogens means the estrogens that we produce in our body. So estradiol is the most important one. It's also, re we refer to it as capital E2. And it's mostly produced um, in the ovaries. The second most important type of estrogen is called estrone, and it's made in our fat cells. And so when you gain weight, those fat cells, uh, they're not just like a depot for uh, fat uh, to save energy, they actually produce estrone. And so, um, uh, but the, again, the most important one is estradiol. And estradiol um, is what gives us a waste. And um, so when you have an absence of estradiol, um, that's why as we get older, we lose more and more of our waste. And then we begin to, when we gain weight, we put it in the middle. Um, so um, endogenous estrogens are estrogens that we make as opposed to exogenous estrogens, which would be either hormone replacement therapy or from things like contraceptive pills. So if you have if you're a woman who has um, higher estradiol levels, would that um, and would that be a factor that would be beneficial to you, or would that be harmful to you? Um, theoretically, um, if you have a higher estradiol levels, you have a later menopause, uh, which is more predictive. We know that when you put estra pure estradiol into the arteries, the arteries dilate, and you are less likely to um, put uh, to build up plaque in there. For example, LDL, which we discussed, is the uh, bad uh, type, one of the bad types of cholesterol. By itself, LDL isn't too bad, but when LDL is oxidized, um, meaning it's had an electron uh, ripped off it. Uh, it becomes an atherogenic uh, LDL, meaning it wants to build plaque in the arteries. But when you have estrogen, you have a lot less oxidized LDL. So um, besides, uh, so estradiol, it, it, it causes your blood pressure to come down. So when women are on hormone replacement therapy, and this isn't saying that you should be on hormone replacement therapy, but what we know is when you take hormone replacement therapy, actually, when you take what we exogenous hormones that look identical to our endogenous hormones, your blood pressure comes down. As we get older, the walls of, the, of our hearts thicken, and it's analogous to hypertension, uh, to thickening of the walls of the arteries. Um, again, if you take 
hormone replacement therapy, or if you look at the hearts of women who are the same age, same weight, same everything, but one's on hormones and one isn't, the heart size is actually uh, a healthier, smaller size. Interesting. That's a very, that's very interesting. There, there was a, um, again, in the SWAN study, there was information that um, looked at women with higher estradiol levels before the final menstrual period, and they saw that they were less likely to develop, in this case, it was plaque in their carotid arteries. So it does make sense. Now, again, you know, there, in, this information is still being collected, and much more research is needed in terms of how these factors impact women through the menopause transition. But we are accumulating a lot of information uh, in women and looking at ways in which we can mitigate some of those risk factors through some of the changes in our behavior, through identification uh, with diagnostic work and so forth. And we're going to get into that a little bit later in the, in the podcast, because I know you have some really important information to share with our listeners in terms of how can you assess what's really going on? And even if you're not paying attention to your heart right now, what we hope you will do following this podcast is to amortize the information that you may have gathered from other types of diagnostic tests to actually inform you about some of the underlying risks or, or lack thereof. So uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about vasomotor symptoms. And we, you know, we had our last podcast, we talked about hot flashes. And um, th is there a relationship between hot flashes and cardiovascular disease. So if if I'm having, you know, 10 hot flashes per day, should I be worried that that might be an indicator or may, is that something that would predispose me to a higher cardiovascular disease risk? I think the jury is still out. Um, it's controversial. So some, um, uh, some researchers postulate that uh, more hot flashes um, are um, a risk factor because your estrogen is going up and down and it's not a smooth curve. Um, and other people say it doesn't matter. So it, it perhaps is more, what's more relevant here is when you start to experience hot flashes because, and when you stop menstruating, because the two would suggest that you were in early menopause. So you might've had your first hot flash, uh, may or may not have coincided when you ceased having your menstrual cycle, but it could be a sign that you were entering, you were in early, very early menopause, even pre-menopause, but still having some of these symptoms. So perhaps that is something to pay attention to. Sure, uh, because um, you could have your period every month all through your 40s. But if you started with your hot flashes at 42, that, that is kind of early and that's worrisome um, that you would already have an ovary that's kind of sputtering out. So something to pay attention to, but again, somewhat inconclusive. So we, you know, we talk about, you know, so where is there conclusive evidence? Where is there sort of speculative evidence? And as we keep saying, and we're studying this in women, particularly in women in the menopause transition, and there are massive studies that continue to be undertaken to better appreciate how we can ameliorate some of these symptoms and reduce risk. Sleep is something that was also studied as a risk factor. And 
the we talked about sleep in one of our other podcasts. We know that insomnia is a huge problem, not just for for women, but um, for men as well. But in women, lack of sleep, disrupted sleep, is a predisposing factor for cardiovascular disease. So let's let's spend a little bit of time talking about sleep and and CVD, cardiovascular disease. Sure. So and. It isn't uh, with within the lack of sleep. There may be several different categories um, that um, lead to this uh, that increased cardiovascular disease risk. Um, I'll start with the the one one risk factor that is overlooked in women all the time, and that's obstructive sleep apnea. So we know that women um, who have sleep apnea are not necessarily overweight. Um, but they may have more testosterone than other women. And testosterone can cause sleep apnea apnea by directly affecting the brain and the the center that makes you, uh, that controls breathing. And uh, if you don't sleep, uh, if you interrupt your oxygen hundreds of times a night and you you have no idea, um, what you do is you, uh, increase the blood pressures um, in the lung, excuse me, and you put yourself at risk for heart failure. Um, and we, what also happens with a lack of sleep, with, whether because you're just not a great sleeper or because you have sleep apnea or both, um, we know that uh, a lack of sleep causes uh, or worsens insulin resistance. So now when you, instead of being sensitive to insulin and only needing a little bit of insulin with a meal, now you need a large amount of insulin for a meal and you still metabolize your food. But the problem is, is that insulin resistance is associated with a lot of inflammation, more inflammation, more inflamed LDL, more atherosclerosis, more and more insulin resistance, you put weight on in the middle. Anyone who puts weight on in the middle becomes more insulin resistant and produces more insulin and it's a vicious cycle. People underestimate sleep. Women, uh, because we have two and a half jobs instead of one job, um, the, they, 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 shave, uh, they shave time off their sleep rather than shave time off their kids or time off work. And so they shave time off sleep and we pay. We pay, and I believe it is associated with early death. So, given that I that I'm a poor sleeper, and given that this morning I had this, uh, I had to be ready for an 8 a.m. Zoom call. I was up at five o'clock in the morning, and you know, I didn't, I you know, I didn't go to bed earlier. I you know, because I was wor- I was working on other things, doing some research. So of course, I, my bedtime was the same. I just cut back on my sleep. So that's right. I need to work on. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of our listeners are probably in the same boat. Hate to say yeah. it, but that little green boat is uh, full of us, right? Yeah. Sleep uh, is incredible. Sleep is medicine. So uh, when so when we think about sleep, uh, natural ways in which to develop good habits with sleep, natural products that we can use to help us uh, ameliorate our sleep. But um, that's the subject for yet another podcast. You can certainly listen to the one that already exists. It's it's actually uh, in the Love Mia Vita podcast repository. 
but uh, Dr. Sharif and I are likely to do another one on sleep and, and how to improve that. We also talk about, uh, we talked about central visceral fat and every one of us, you know, when we enter menopause and I'm, I'm there, um, I'm menopausal. When we think about our bodies and some of the changes in our bodies, you know, some of these changes are natural, you know, gravity may take over. And as much as we love to work out and try to watch what we eat, you know, we do see changes and it's okay. We're not here to body shame anybody. But one of the things that you mentioned was the accumulation of what is referred to as central visceral fat. And we all know what that is or we should. So that's, you know, you had a waste at one point. Now, all of a sudden the waste begins to shrink. And, and even a person like me with chicken legs and chicken arms starts to, and, and a low BMI, they start to see that be nice to have that old waist back again. And, and that's a sign, right? Yes, it is a sign. Um, so um, as we get older um, and our estrogen starts to go down more and more, um, we, uh, instead of uh, uh, putting weight on in say our thighs or our behind, we start to put it on in our belly. And so do men. And um, it's a sign of less hormones and more insulin resistance. And it's, a, it's also a sign of getting older, but it is difficult to tease apart what part is estrogen and what part is quote unquote getting older. So it's just something to uh, be, watch, be watchful. If yeah. you start to see it, you know, changes that are more dramatic than, uh, than, than you had once appreciated, or if you are, if you're experiencing more stress and your cortisol levels are rising and you are gaining weight around the middle, perhaps it's a good idea to investigate a little bit more so uh, because it may not only be a function of gravity or just aging or what have you. And, and uh, it doesn't matter how many sit-ups or crunches you do, it's probably something to explore more fully. Depression is also another risk factor that was identified. And is, is depression, is it a, a function of perhaps treating depression or is it a function of not treating de depression? What is the relationship between depression and an increase in cardiovascular disease? Yeah, so I'm not sure um, we can quite um, draw a straight line between depression and cardiovascular disease that you know depression causes it. Uh, but they're certainly related. And people with cardiovascular disease do have more depression and vice versa. Um, one of the ways we could look at it is that depression, increasingly, we're looking at it as less about serotonin and more about inflammation in the body, inflammation from the gut, from the intestinal microbiome. So the bacteria that live in your gut um, are, uh, may very well be responsible for your mood. And if you have this kind of bacteria, maybe you have more anxiety, panic attacks, and this type of bacteria, more depression or bipolar or schizophrenia. So, so much of it is in the gut. Anyway, the bad bacteria, um, they, uh, they do create um, inflammation. And then inflammation, um, it makes the blood vessels unhealthy and you're more likely to build up plaque. So I can sort of draw a dotted line uh, with between them with 
inflammation as the intermediary. So if you if you are experiencing depression, by all means, you should see someone professionally to address those symptoms. And we know that depression can be exacerbated during the menopause. And sometimes it's exacerbated because we see that, again, the decline in estrogen. If it was present before mm -hmm. you entered menopause, um, that's probably something that if it's been untreated, you should continue to explore that and ways in which you can address those symptoms because it could have an impact. As I yes. think what I'm hearing, it could have an impact. Yeah. Your you may if you are on antidepressant therapy, perhaps you should also be more vigilant about taking the appropriate steps to measure your metabolic uh, profile to be certain that you are not, it's not impacting your metabolic profile because there are changes that can be made and you should let your psychiatrist or your prescriber know um, whether you are starting to see changes. That Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. And again, by no means should any of what we are sharing with you today replace any of the advice that you will receive from your healthcare provider. We are not prescribing medicine. We are only here sharing information. And in the case of Dr. Sharif, who is a board certified practitioner of medicine, she is just providing information and you should be sure to visit your provider because he or she is the best person to make recommendations about diagnostic tests and any other lifestyle changes that you would want to make. So there are some things that I did not appreciate um, that Dr. Sharif shared with me when we were about to do this podcast. And Catherine, there was a an example that you shared with me that I think is particularly relevant to our target audience to, of women here. And it really has to do with perhaps some unrelated medical issues that may give us insights into our cardiovascular health. Perhaps you want to share the example that you shared with me. Sure. So uh, for example, just this afternoon, I saw a patient who had had um, she has an adrenal gland problem. And as you know, the adrenal glands are uh, small, little pyramid-shaped type glands, and they sit on top of each kidney. And so um, her doctor ordered a, uh, a CAT scan of the abdomen to uh, look at the adrenal glands. And what, so I went back to look at the study. And what I noticed is that the radiologist had written in the report, not in the summary, but in the report, um, that the blood vessels um, had a lot of atherosclerosis. And this woman is only 47 years old. And the reason they know, the, the, the reason it's obvious she has atherosclerosis is that anywhere where you have plaque, and that's the buildup of the LDL cholesterol, um, <clears throat> which, and, which causes a blockage of the arteries or atherosclerosis, wherever you have that, calcium follows. And you can see calcium on any x-ray. It looks like white chalk. Um, and, that's, and so if you see a blood vessel that has white chalk in it, you have atherosclerosis. And you wouldn't expect to see that on a 47-year-old woman. And um, no one had mentioned it to her. 
Um, and if you read the summary of the report, it says the adrenal glands are normal, end of report. But um, this is something we come across a lot where we look at radiology studies, either MRIs or um, CAT scans, uh, say you had pneumonia and you had a CAT scan of your lungs. Well, you know, they do see the heart in there. They do see the aorta and other blood vessels, and they can tell you if there's atherosclerosis in there or not. So it's really important to go back to those studies um, and uh, make sure your doctor reads it from top to bottom and let, lets you know if there was any atherosclerosis in there, because that's like getting a free uh, cardiac catheterization. I was just going to say it's bonus points, right? So, yeah. you know, sometimes we want to bury our heads in the sand and we may not want to know because knowledge, yes. sometimes the knowledge is scary. In this yeah. case, the knowledge is helpful and it is bonus points because if you are having, you're having kidney stones and you had to have a CAT scan to make sure that things were looking okay, but they're saying all of this and, and you've already paid for that scan. And it's yeah. great information. It, you can act on it or you can choose not to act on it. Hopefully, there is nothing remarkable in there to indicate that you have any cardiovascular issues. But wouldn't it be wonderful to know in advance that there was something that could be done in order to make a change? You could make a lifestyle change. And you learned that coincidentally. Yes. You learned about that coincidentally. Right. I mean, it's important. insurance doesn't cover a test to look at your coronary arteries and say whether or not there's atherosclerosis in there. So what you, what we're supposed to do is have a heart attack um, and then you have a catheterization and then we find out whether there's a blockage or not. So this is free information. It's really important. You can act on it and you can turn this around. So we, we've, we've, We've spoken a lot about the different risk factors, um, things that happen to our bodies during the menopause transition. What are the three things that we should take away from this podcast that are really more solution oriented that can help with our cardiovascular health? Because that's really the point of this is know what the risk factors are, understand how to mitigate some of the damage, if you're younger and you're listening to this podcast or you're seeing it on YouTube, it's an opportunity for you to take control, maybe assess where you are, think about how you, you, know, you may need to change your diet, understand what medications you're taking, if you're consuming a lot of alcohol, if you're a smoker. I think we heard all of these things during the podcast. You can start to make those changes before you enter the menopause transition. Yes. Um, so number one, know what your risk factors are. So uh, we can list them all in one place, um, which, uh, which we, we've just been touching on them. Number one risk factor, are you a smoker? Number two, did your mother or father have a heart attack at a young age, uh, say under 50 for a man um, and uh, under 60 for a woman? Um, so that's family history of heart disease. Number three would be, do you have diabetes or are you pre-diabetic? Number four, do you have high cholesterol, um, meaning high LDL cholesterol or high triglycerides, not the HDL, the good one. And then um, number five would be, do you have hypertension? 
Now, there are other risk factors that are just as important, but they're not the five that are always listed. Um, the other one, um, the other one that's most important would be, are you sedentary? Uh, because our jobs, our sedentary jobs are killing us. Um, so that would be number one is assess your cardiac risk factors. Um, to speak to your doctor about what you can change. And um, I guess we should, we, we really should throw sleep in there and don't discount the importance of sleep. Um, and then um, number three, um, well, when you address them with your, uh, with your clinician, um, then you, know, you can decide what do you need to do in terms of diet? What do you need to do in terms of exercise? And you know, we talked about this before, when you're in your 30s, you feel like you're immortal. And then when you're 40s, you're wondering, maybe you, know, maybe you are gonna die. <laughs> and then later on, you know you're going to die. Um, but when you, uh, you, can, you can use this time of life where you assess your risk factors, like what are you going to do to change this, uh, to turn this around? And it almost always, always, always comes back to diet, uh, nutrition, exercise, and sleep. That's good advice, Catherine. This is this has been very helpful. It's been helpful to me. I did not appreciate uh, the other point that you made about taking advantage of opportunities. You know, if you unfortunately had to have an MRI or a CAT scan due to another medical issue that you were facing. That information is good information. Don't disregard that. Make sure that your healthcare provider, clinician reads through the entire report. And if he or she notices anything that is untoward, make certain that you are made aware of it and can act on it. Yeah. And that's That was really great advice. So thank you for sharing that with us. The podcast that we're doing today is a podcast that we will likely continue in terms of providing additional information regarding health, particularly cardiovascular health, because it is such a key issue for women. As stated in the beginning of this podcast, cardiovascular health is so important in women because we can change this trajectory. If we take this issue seriously, and I believe that we are, the American Heart Association has certainly done a wonderful job of spending and investing a significant amount of time speaking about women and heart health, but we intend to do more of that uh, on the Fem Pharma Love Me Vita podcast, because we do remember that one in six women, one in six women, um, will, sorry, one in five women, um, even worse, will be a, a, a casualty of cardiovascular disease. On the happy note, we are going to continue to provide you with information and resources and we're pleased to have Dr. Catherine Sharif as my co-host. As you can tell, she's an expert in many areas. She, she has a philosophy that I believe needs to be embraced in women's healthcare, and that is taking control of the total woman and not simply just the reproductive organs of women. So Thanks, Catherine, it's a great. pleasure. Thank you for Thank being you. my co-host. 
and we look forward to many more episodes. Hopefully we've enlightened you today. We want to thank you for joining us. All of you, take care, be well, and love Mia Vita. Thank you.